PR Pro Cannabis Media. Hi, everyone. Welcome again to another edition of In the Weeds with Jimmy Young, our regularly scheduled podcast and interview show that we do here on Pro Cannabis Media. As always, I ask you to share, like, and subscribe, not only to our little podcast here, but all the programming that we live stream 24-7 on PCM TV, on our Roku channel, and our Apple channel, as well as our website, Pro Cannabis Media. Today, we're going to be joined by a gentleman from Ohio. That's right, that great state of Ohio. His name is Harry Bernstein. He's with Verde Compliance Partners. See, I gave it the Verde thing, didn't I, Harry? Okay. Absolutely. And uh, thank you so much. Thank you so much for joining us. You are a, a practicing attorney in Ohio with a background uh, in the alcoholic beverage world. Am I right? Yeah, that's correct. So long, long what, history what, in the. I, I, okay, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, long history. That's the background. We had a family beer and wine distributor, highly regulated industry. So, so dad thought it would be less expensive to have a lawyer in-house than to pay the guys to come in and do all our work. So that, that's how I got in the legal end of the business. And dads always know best, it seems, right? For I, sure. I remember a show about that back in the day in black and white, because I remember black and white. TV. Right. You do, you know? Oh, I do, I do. Okay, fair enough. Hey, so we're obviously a pro-cannabis media network. I'm always intrigued with what is going on in the cannabis industry in Ohio. You guys have a medical decriminalization program in place in Ohio, correct? Yeah, that is correct. And that's that's actually how I got into this field. Um, like a lot of industries, the beer and wine business consolidated and our, our company was sold. Um similar to what you see going on in the cannabis industry. Now, this would have been the early 90s. So uh, I was practicing law full-time by that time. And in 2016 now, when medical cannabis was approved in Ohio, I had some family members who were considering it, who came from that generation that taught Reefer Madness as a documentary. So they kind of turned to me to look into it. And, and I saw... Um, what was going on. I saw the disconnect between the federal laws and the state laws. Um, and Ohio's was kind of, they took a few shots at it early by, by ballot and they weren't well worded. So even people who were pro-legalization voted against it. And then they came up with a pretty, in, in my opinion, a stopgap uh, type medical bill, which they're trying to repair. Um, but we haven't, our legislator hasn't earned our faith to repair it themselves. So we have what's called a legislative initiative process where we can uh, get enough signatures to take a, a bill to them. They can bring it up. They have four months to vote on it. Um, and if they don't vote on it, you can go back, gather more signatures and put it in front of the voters. And we've seen what happened, what goes there. Uh, it's pretty clear in Ohio that the legislator is going to punt on this one. There was, it was actually on the front page of the Akron Beacon Journal today um, that it looks like it's going to the ballot uh, because okay. Columbus doesn't want to do much about this. So, yeah, well, you know, I understand what happens at the state level in many, many ways. First of all, I think you and I both know that whenever cannabis is on a ballot question, it tends to give a um, a bit of a boost for voter turnout because people do care about this issue. Accurate? Absolutely. Yeah, that's, 
yeah, I think it's going to play a big part in these midterm elections. Um, and we can get into that later for why I think, think that, you know, but it's just, as, as you said, it's, it's this, you know, we're going to see it in Ohio. You're looking at a swing state um, with potentially very competitive Senate election. And we've all seen that a few thousand votes can, can literally flip the Senate. <laughs> So, yes. Um, and, and I'd like to flip the Senate in many ways. Yeah, well, it has nothing to do with whether I'm a Republican or a Democrat. OK, preaching to the choir. Yeah. You know, it's interesting, though. Um, there are still people out there who resist even the idea of implementing term limits on our on our U.S. Senate. And I, I find it interesting. But I also recognize there's always ways to tweak something like that without jumping in full, kind of with both feet. And that's similar to how people, I think, are looking at the legalization process at both the state level and the federal level. Uh, I guess that's just the nature of being in a uh, democratic republic, I think, is the proper Correct, right. uh, way to look at our, our political system. Um, Harry, is your state legislature, is it a uh, Republican-dominated or Democrat-dominated? It's, it's Republican. And going back to what you said when we talk about term limits and tweaks, you know, again, as a, as a lawyer and as somebody who's grown up in a family who always discusses issues and you think you understand where I'm coming from is, you know, gerrymandering to me and campaign finance are the two issues. If you can fix those things, you don't need term limits because then you have competitive districts. Um, when, and I follow 538 a lot, I believe in the whole house out of the 400 and some odd districts, 38 they found to be competitive uh, because of the gerrymandering. And, and that's an issue there. And that's what we've seen in Ohio because when they gerrymander, they don't just do the federal piece, they do the state piece. And, and, uh, and interestingly enough, we have a Republican dominated Supreme Court, even though they aren't supposed to be members of parties. It shouldn't say that they can't run on the ballot on their party. But they have struck down the Republicans uh, redistricting four times already, and it's been led by the Chief Justice, who is a Republican, who she even recognizes the the patently unfairness of these districts. So, um, you know, that's that's you're right. I mean, things need to be tweaked and changed. And the same thing with cannabis. It's 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 a it's a it's a tough issue, but there's ways to do it. You could you could make the case. Mr. Attorney, that the uh, district alignments that are going on in the different states is the 21st century of a, a model of a civil war. Because, yeah, sure. right? Because the Republicans are looking at it one way and the Democrats are looking at it another way. What a shock, right? right? And you know, there's a battle for the control of the voters in these different districts. And it's happening more in the South than it is in the Northeast, certainly. Um, right. and, and Ohio being in the Midwest, I think you guys qualify for that, don't you? We do. We've always been called Midwesterners. And but I, I would say we're probably the farthest eastern state of the Midwest. And that stretches all the way into, you know, Oklahoma, Kansas. So um, it, even with that in our state, Ohio's a very, very, um, it's, it's a it's a it's a diverse state. Mm -hmm. So you have pockets of strong blue collar Democrat. You have strong blue collar purple to GOP. And then you've got very rural. I think Ohio's the sixth or seventh biggest agriculture state in the country. So you drive out of Cleveland and then you drive into Columbus and, it, it, and that makes for good things. If people talk to each other, it right. makes for bad situation when nobody listens to each other. Well, 
Yeah, and, and again, I think that, that goes back to uh, an observation of what's going on in, in Washington, D.C. right now, is that two sides are just so, they've driven, they've uh, drawn that line in the sand, and they've dug in their heels, and whatever the Republicans want, the Democrats don't want. Whatever the Democrats want, the Republicans don't want, without even looking if there is a way for compromise and a solution to actually govern. And this is what this is what bothers me. And of course, I'm amazed that here we are in the 21st century talking about how the plant cannabis is is right in the middle of this political discussion. And all those pool polls that show that support is split along party lines uh, across this country, even though we know 68 percent of Americans do favor full legalization of cannabis at this time, which is the highest percentage it's ever been in history. And yet when I talk to members of the industry, they're not very confident that they want the feds to legalize cannabis because they don't trust them at this point. And isn't that a sad commentary on where we're at right now? Yeah, and it is. And it's, you know, you just said a lot there. There's a lot to unpack. But when you hear Nancy Mace, who I think has put together, put out an incredibly reasonable bill yep. saying she's not getting co-sponsored from her own party because they're waiting out the primary elections. And I think to myself, they're abdicating their jobs as legislators to make good, reasonable, fair laws that will improve our society and move us forward because they're afraid they won't get that vote within within the primary. They know They know it's the right thing to do from a national standpoint and even within their state because South Carolina, you know, is is going to go legal here in a little bit too with medical, with with full Republican support at the state level, not full but but pretty good. And as far as support, when you look at the demographics, it's really that, and I'm getting close, but it's that 65 plus demographic that's the only one that doesn't have a majority support, and the Republican Party does skew older, and that that's why they really don't. But if you know, and hey, I work with veterans and. I work with police officers and, you know, they, they all get it. Some can't go on the record and say so. And that's, I get that from, for, for, because of employment purposes. Right. Um, but it just, like you said, if there's, yeah, you hate to say it. It's the one thing it seems that the American voters can agree on. Let's legalize cannabis. And, and I hate the term legalize at the federal level because it's really just removing prohibition right. um, and treating it like alcohol. 1933, and you know, right after he got elected, FDR said, "Executive order three two beers legal. We're gonna we're gonna get it repealed through the legislative process, the constitutional amendment. They passed the constitutional amendment. They created the Federal Alcohol Administration Act. Say, oh gee, we can make tax. You know, we can we can take it away from the Al Capones of the world. We can we can make it a legal industry. We can give people jobs. We can repair some of the. And at that time, it was discrimination against the European immigrants. Very similar to why." why cannabis you know, was uh, prohibited starting in the 30s and then in, again in the 70s. Um, it was, you know, when you dig deep, it was to control certain what people felt were uh, undesirables for not my term. <laughs> when you read the record, that's the term that's, that's out there. No, and Worst I believe, terms are out there. <laughs> I, I, I believe the, the uh, now former president, Nixon, um, used the yep. word, uh, let's see, those long-haired hippies and darkies, I'm pretty sure yep. is the quote uh, that was used. And he is the one who implemented that Controlled Substances Act in 1971-72, uh, uh, before he resigned in 73. 
boy, that's my history major at Tufts University. Hey. I like that. That was pretty good. Uh, that being said, what a lot of people don't know, Harry, and I'm sure being an attorney, you do know the history of Timothy Leary getting that tax act repealed before the Supreme Court in 1969. Right. So you can make the case that, you know, for about a year and a half, two years during Woodstock, I might add, sure. they, that, uh, that tax act that had prohibited cannabis from being a substance, a legal substance in the United States, it was a unanimous decision by the Supreme Court that right. Timothy Leary didn't want to incriminate himself. He used that as his defense, and it worked to the point where, okay, that tax act, but needless to say, racism is so embedded in this country. It has been for hundreds of years and cannabis has really been a tool for those who don't understand the plant well enough and to profile a, a completely, a, a race of people. And you know now they have an opportunity to have a, a second chance to get into the business. The, the social equity applicants in the various states, the opportunity to perhaps expunge thousands of records of, of people in jail that you know have been busted and put away for having a couple of joints in their pocket for years. Yeah. Um, it, you know, this, this was a mistake, okay, and needs to be corrected. But it, it, it comes down to effort to me for politicians. You know, in America, we're used to winning. We like to win at all costs. Right. And I make a lot of sports analogies. I think you can relate to this one. Sure, sure. Defense wins championships, cliches. Defense takes effort. Right. And I don't see the effort by our elected officials to learn enough about this particular plant and the industry itself and the science and the research that has driven the Green Rush. It's all about wanting to learn and learning about it because not because you have to, because you should do it, because you do represent people that put you in place. You know, politicians, they want to get reelected. You know, that's, right. that's their job. That's their goal. That's their win. As you know, I tend to pontificate. What's your feelings about some of the things that came out of my mouth just then? Well, you know, a, co a couple things. I think they start to learn when that issue is going to help them get elected. Right. So right. as we see more and more states, you know, you look, you look at the last presidential election in, in deep red states, and you know, I, I hate cliches, but I'll use it because everybody knows what it means. Deep red states voted to legalize can it won on every ballot initiative out there mississippi south dakota mon i believe it was montana or wyoming yeah, montana montana yes now granted you then again you turn around and you got uh people like the governor in south dakota who who's who sues their own voters and says you guys don't know what you know we've, we've run into that in ohio occasionally too yeah. so i think they're starting to learn you know from a personal standpoint um I used to lobby when we had the beer and wine business. We learned right away because people were attacking our business in the 70s with, you know, anytime some somebody died in a drunk driving accident, it was the brewery's fault because they ran a commercial with a girl in a bikini. You know, it, it was it was eliminating the personal responsibility. And there were bad actors in about, you know, over serving people. I get that. But we went to Washington, we went to Columbus and, and we explained these things. And, we, and it, it came upon the industry to educate these people and say, hey, we're good businessmen. We've been putting money in this economy in every district since 1933. We don't want people dying. We're behind it. 
but you know, you can't start blaming everything on us. And here's what we do. And that's really the concept be behind federal lifting prohibition. You can't regulate a product until you, until you lift the prohibition. So, you know, you lift it, you put in place social equity, you create jobs and revenue, you regulate it. It's, it to me, the social equity and the public safety are probably the most important pieces of the puzzle. The revenue and the jobs are important, but they're not the most important. The other thing I think that's going to happen, and you, you talked about Supreme Court, is there's going to be a point if these guys in Washington sit on their hands where one of the courts is going to strike down the Schedule One status and say it is no longer Schedule One, and then you got a real mess on your hands. Because without Schedule One status, it's no different than you wanted to grow corn or tomatoes in your backyard and serve it to your kid if you wanted to serve it to your kid. We None of us want that, right? We all want some form of regulation to protect the public safety. We can argue how far it goes and how not. So I honestly think the Supreme Court's got two cases they're looking at. They haven't taken up yet. They're actually waiting for um, some briefs from the department. I think it's the Department of Justice or, or the advocate. They're, they're, they're huh? using delay tactics to not- Right, right. Because they don't, want to, they don't want to have to be the guys that do that. But when you look at this court, they're really a pro-free enterprise court. Forget, you know, you can say conservative and talk about other issues, but they're pro-free enterprise. And there's going to be a point where they say, okay, you've got what, what the cold memo is today. We can call it various things. You've got, if they pass safe banking and part of the competes or, or stand law, you're going to say, you're telling everybody it's legal for everything, except if the guy on the street wants to sell a, a, a bag or the guy wants to, treat, wants to take one hit, then all of a sudden it's a federal crime, right? right. So the, a court's going to have to look at that. And there, there's case law out there. And there was some of the alcohol industry too, and say, look, you know what? You're invalidating it. The minute you're admitting that it has medicinal benefit, then it, it invalidates schedule one status by definition. So that's, that'll happen. There's, you know, it is going to be, and it could be one court that upholds it, and then you're going to sit in the Supreme Court. And I think that's going to force an issue. And that's what's going to happen in Ohio, too. It's, it just, it tried, that's how medical came about. It was going to go on the ballot for, for adult use, and they came up with this bill in 2015. And I, and I think the poll about, um, do you recognize the cannabis plant has medicinal value is at 91%. So oh, yeah. if, the, if the people recognize that and the government, the hypocritical government has a product out there, as you know, called Epidiolox, which is right. a, which is a uh, let's see, a lab-based cannabis generated drug. Is that the best way to look at it? Is that accurate? Did I say everything? Yeah, it's an FDA approved drug. So they went through full FDA approval and that's what's holding up. We can get in. That's a whole nother show, the CBD issue. <laughs> right. We could talk about CBD too. But, you know, I love how the fact, you know, the farm bill goes through and, and nobody realizes that what you just did is open up a Pandora's box. Yeah, right. right. Okay. Because you, you decided to pass the bill before really doing any research on the actual plant that you're now allowing to get out there. And that hemp plant really drove a lot of the reefer madness and the uh, first DEA because of the uh, money people behind our, our government and our lobbyists back in the 1930s. And I'm talking about right. names that I think people know that, you know, Andrew Carnegie, DuPont, right. Hearst, yep. are, this is what was going on back then. This is what led to the prohibition is those guys were involved with the pulp industry and they saw hemp as a threat to their right. wallets.
So they, you know, after all, we're talking about an era that was also Jim Crow South. They wanted to yep. keep that going. They wanted to, you know, maintain the racist policies that led them to their wealth and what have you. Uh, that was part of the, the the world at that point you know that's why we had the 60s you know what i'm saying I, this is why we had B brown versus board of yeah. education in 1954 right so we we kind of made some progress but here we are in the 21st century still having a lot of the same arguments and same issues that were part of our world 80 years ago it it, 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 it can be a very frustrating thing if you think about it in that perspective right yeah, and and I think, you know, I I I I think that that discussion. I mean, you have people in Washington, primarily on the Senate side. If you know, you're never going to change their mind. And unfortunately, it's such a high bar now to pass anything in the Senate. I mean, that it, it, you have to go beyond reason anymore and logic. And, and, and I mean, if I walked into the Senate and said, "I've got an issue for you that 90% of your voters are going to support." People are going to be safer if you jump on board. You may even be, be pulling from different demographics if you jump on board. You need to support it. And they nine times out of ten, they'll say, "Let me know what it is." And the minute you say cannabis, they start. They revert to the reefer madness mentality. It's a gateway drug. Well, that's been disproven. I've known. You know, I had this discussion with a guy I worked in the beer business with, and he's been in the beer business for geez over forty years. Um, and he said, I've seen it destroy lives. And I'm like, wait a minute. I said, being in the alcohol business for 30 years, I've seen that destroy more lives than I've ever seen of anybody I know who was a user, a cannabis user. Um, so, and again, the, forget the, 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 uh, the anecdotal evidence, the data is there too. So, I mean, again, we go back to nobody, to our knowledge, to the medical industry's knowledge, again, nobody's overdosed on cannabis yet. Right. Are they right. people who have problems with substance abuse? That's the nature of human beings. Um, so, and yeah, have, and, and again, we have, we have with alcohol, if you don't mind me going at no. you a little bit about alcohol for a second here, you know, even as last year, I'm pretty sure we lost another student in the United States to alcohol poisoning because oh, sure fraternity <laughs> brothers, and I'm I am, laughing about I am that pro fraternity. Right. I want to make sure people understand that. Right. Um, as part of their hazing, um, made this young man do 40 shots of alcohol. Yeah. And I, I'm like looking at that going, how can that still happen? How can they do this? And they, by the way, underage, of course, right? We understand we're going to get into the 18 to 21 thing. I'm going to ask right. my opinion about that in a second, because I grew up when it was 18. Yeah, um, sure. Me too. <laughs> it changed when I, actually, when I was growing up is when it changed in Ohio from and I'll explain the story when we get into it. So go, go ahead and finish right. what you're saying. But the point is, if you did 40 bong hits, you don't die. Yeah, right. You, you won't get that far, probably. Right. Uh, you, right. Before you go, oh, man, I got to go sit down or whatever. But it, yeah. it, it uh, it's just very, very interesting to me that this is still happening, even though, and again, I think Mothers Against Drunk Driving did an amazing job with changing attitudes. Okay, I'm going to give them credit. Absolutely. For, for that. Okay, uh, I do think we have too many rules in place and I've always been about education and there are fewer alcoholics in Europe where they don't have this issue, you know, because right. they introduce alcohol, wine, beer at a very early age to their children because they don't want to keep it away from their children because we, they want their children to learn about it. And they have to actually learn about how to talk to their children about alcohol. 
And this is one of my little um, things that I really, really, really want to get involved with is I want to help parents and teachers and educators talk to their kids about wheat, how to talk to right. their kids about wheat. You know what? Let's, let's talk about this plant. Let's talk about the right. fact that, you know, doctors in our United States of America wrote 5 million prescriptions between 1900 and 1910. And all those doctors were graduates of Harvard and Yale and NYU medical schools that were in existence back then. And we had MDs back then. And they recognized back then that this, is, this can help people. Well, and that's another reason that we need to lift that federal prohibition right. so a teacher can talk in school or, or a university where you get federal funding and say, look, let's teach. That. That's a whole other issue what goes on in, in free right. speech in colleges these days and universities. And, and you know, I went to, I went to school in, at Tulane in New Orleans, and there was no, no more of a drinking culture than going down to school in New Orleans. And the difference was between me and some of these kids whose parents were complete abstainers and prohibitionists. Well, they should not have sent their kids to school down there. I grew up around it. I'm aware of the dangers. Not that I didn't have plenty of fun when I was down there, but I saw some kids who self-destructed, you know, and I mean, they and you, just. And I always make this caveat too. You can self-destruct by taking yep. too much cannabis. There's no sure. doubt. It's a human thing that we want more and more and more and more. It is the education and responsible use that we preach here uh, on pro cannabis media on a regular basis and myself. And it, and it really, I go back to the personal experience and, and your analogy about the uh, the senators that are uh, you know basically still living in reefer madness world. It, they have to have a family member that goes through uh, right. cancer or epilepsy or whatever it is, so they can actually see how this plant works. But unfortunately, it's always a last resort treatment for a lot of people because right. of the fact it's been federally illegal for so many years and people just don't understand it and don't understand and we, how it works. We saw that with the gay marriage thing. You had legislators who were, were set against it and then all of a sudden found out a child was gay and boy, the world didn't end and and horns didn't pop out of people's heads and kids, right. you know, and they say, you know, hey, the fact that somebody loves another person isn't a bad thing, you know, and, and they should have the same rights that that we have. And, uh, and then you had a Supreme Court who, who supported it as well at some point. But, you know, I, I, I think you're getting there. Like I said, I have those conversations with people. Mm -hmm. I never would have thought, you know, when I first got into this end of the business, like I'm thinking 25% yeah, of my, my peers and family and friends are going to think I'm nuts in some form of drug dealer. And really all we do is we sit down and, and at Verde, our goal is look, we we have alcohol backgrounds. Clearly, every proposal is going to right now says let's regulate cannabis like alcohol, and that's what we do. We sit down and say, here's what you guys can do to prepare. We also work with the legislators. I'm fortunate. I live in Dave Joyce's district. I knew Dave when he was a prosecutor, and he was probably the first guy in the House on board from the GOP side for for personal reasons as well, but for practical reasons. And and I can speak to him. Uh, he's great. He's open-minded. He, he listens and he gets it. And he just came out with this new proposal. What was it, Monday or Friday uh, uh, to say, okay, if the house is going to sit on its hands, at least let's create a committee to say, how are we going to legalize it? Right. That we could at least agree on that. But he put a quick timeline in his bill too, that says, we're going to have a recommendation in 12 months. You want to sit on your hands? Fine. Pass my bill that gives us the opportunity to look at the system, 
from all from all areas. They, they're going to have people who have been imprisoned on the committee. They're going to have you know, stakeholders chosen from both sides of the aisle and say, let's have that talk. Here's our report. You oh. know, I, again, I, I think so much is going to turn on selection. Um, and I think you're going to really get some some headway going into the next presidential election. I think you're going to see a lot. You're going to see a lot of activity after the primaries. Um, and I, I think that they'll come to an agreement. They're going to have to come to agreement. Like I said, either, either the courts are going to make them or they're going to have to come. And safe banking, as we know, yes, is a decent piece of the puzzle, but it's not going to do. It's really protecting the banks and the insurance companies. It's handing them a tool to make money. That bank is not going to go out and give money to a guy, a small business person, because banks are, for the most part, not in the habit of giving somebody startup money whether it's legal or not. I mean, if I was starting a bakery and I wasn't a baker, they're not going to give me a loan. <laughs> right. Right. So it's, it's not, it's not going to help. So I don't, this is my opinion. It'll help social equity a little bit, but it's more of a benefit to those established businesses out there, meaning the banks and, and the insurance companies. Right. Is, is it progress? Doing. Yes, it's progress. It's, right. it's, and, and what we're seeing, of course, of the multi-state operators uh, getting the finger pointed at them, whatever finger that is, um, <laughs> for doing the best thing they possibly could do for this industry, which is to give it some girth, you know, to give it some um, launching ability, really, that capital speaks, right? And right. Th this is how we built this 26 billion, or if you count hemp, 33 billion uh, industry yeah. in, in, the, in the United States of America and only uh, 18 legal states right now with 37 uh, decriminalized. I want to get back to the, uh, the 18 plus thing because I do rail about this a lot on my show because I really do believe that when I happened to move into Tufts University on my 18th birthday, okay? So I had the benefits of starting my college life in a legal, I was legally um, able to go down to the, the corner store to Hillside Liquors and uh, and buy whatever I needed to buy for the weekend fraternity or weekend party in the dorm or whatever we needed to do, needed alcohol for. And, you know, we learned by doing uh, what our limits were. We learned by doing what responsible use of alcohol was, okay? Right. And we did this, by the way, at age 18. I, I don't understand why if our colleges are filled with students that are 18 plus and everybody must understand, guess what? When you go to college, <coughs> excuse me, you're going to drink. Right. That happens. Will we ever get back to that? Well, somebody told me it was probably my dad who's the smartest guy now. Never's a long time. Um, it seems to be going the other way and by no means am I a proponent of smoking anything it's it's not for me and, and and the dad is the dad is certainly on tobaccos there but to all of a sudden it's going to be 21 you know when i sat there and i said this is as a kid and i was the same way in ohio we had something known as three two beer which was low alcohol beer and that goes back to to prohibition and, and uh, uh for, for certain reasons um you could drink three two beer until you're 21 18 to 21 um, then all of a sudden, magically, you became smart enough to drink uh, a vodka tonic if you wanted to on your 21st birthday. And, I, you know, as a kid, I never understood it. Uh, most of your, quote, high alcohol beer, Bud, Budweiser and, 
in Genesee, which was big in our market at the time, was approximately 4%. So you're going from 3.2 to 4. It's not that big a difference. So at a point, they changed the law to go, they got rid of 3.2 and said 19 to 21 drink beer. And then when the feds got involved and we know it was high, you know, the Supreme Court said you can't, you can't regulate under um, 21st Amendment states alcohol uh, laws. But they did the old power of the purse thing. And they say, you know what? We're not going to give you your highway funds unless you comply with our 21 Adrian. And that's when you started stripping people of their rights. And, and the argument's never been more true. And it was made in the 70s when people were going to Vietnam. I'm old enough to carry a gun, but I'm not old enough to buy a beer. And it's not what you're allowed to do. It's what they think your mind is capable. And we know you've got to draw an arbitrary line at some point, whether it's 18, 21, 19. You have to draw a line. I get it. But if you're saying, in my opinion, the, the, the legally most important decision you can make is voting for somebody or signing a contract. You can do all those things, but you're not capable of deciding um, whether you can smoke a joint or whether you can um, smoke a vape pen, which is tobacco, or chew tobacco or, or, or grab a beer. I mean. It, 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 it is crazy. It, it, let me ask you one. But I, you're, that's the long answer. The, the, the short answer is we'll get there. I don't know how long it'll take because I think, knock on wood, I got a 19-year-old. I have faith in this generation. They got, a, they got, they got their glitches too, <laughs> but they, they got some social skill issues because they're on the phone all the time. That's the old man and me coming up. But Wait, I think like they- Like this? Like this? Yeah, right. right? I, I think they've got- they're at least in our area that they're getting some good education and learning, learning how to make, uh, learning how to look at different sources, learning how to make educated decisions, looking at data as opposed to people screaming on TV. Um, but you're, you're talking about another 10, 15 years for that generation right. to start writing the rules. Right. And again, I think, that's input. Actually, I think that's when legalization is going to happen. It'll be 10 years. I am not, I'm not thinking it's going to happen in August when Chuck Schumer finally gets around. To yeah, I, yeah I, I tend to think it's going to happen in, in, you know, if you put a gun to my head, I'd say 50-50 chance before the next presidential election. But after that, they, you know, it, it, they're going to have to, because like I said, either the court's going to do it for them right. or the feds are going to have to create reasonable. And I think I, the, the argument's going to be, honestly, and I hate to say this, it's going to be over the social equity provisions. Because you can't, which is you can't stuff everything in there, and have it approved. Everybody, each side is going to have to give. Somebody's going to have to give on the tax rates, and that's the other issue. You can't tax it to death because all you're going to do is support the black market or the legacy market. I apologize, that's illegal okay. market and the legacy. That, that's that's forty years of of I, education I calling it that. I, I understand it, and and you know what? I love the word legacy market. Yeah, way. I really do. Because um, it doesn't really matter what color you are, okay? It really yep. doesn't. And that, in, as far as that market goes, okay, uh, th that's for sure. Well, and that's how you frame it. It is a legacy market right. of what is seventy. Was it seventy-four percent of the people have access to the product legally? Right. So it's a legal market, and there's the leg. There's the legacy of what created that legal market. And and I'll be honest, you know, I I really like going to a dispensary. Now, I have a medical card since Massachusetts started in 2013. I have horrific arthritis and have had four surgeries in 22 years. But oh, it, is, it is a medicine. It has always been used by myself as a medicinal product. 
to deal with the chronic pain that I've had to live with now for 20 years or so. Sure. And you know, getting out of that is is not going to be easy. But it you, I, I don't really know what else, what however else to do this and deal with this other than educate people about not just my story, but other people's stories. These anecdotal stories that are out there are very powerful. I can't tell you how many times I've talked to people that have said cannabis has saved my life. Cannabis has changed my life. How many people that I knew were addicted on opioids who got off their opioids through cannabis? Our veterans, for instance, right. that alone is, makes me crazy. That, yeah. that in a legal state of Massachusetts, you can't go to the VA and even get a medical card for cannabis yes um, it makes no sense it makes absolutely no sense to me you either want you either want to take care of our veterans and it's not veterans but it, that that incenses me more because of what i'm like you because of what they've done for this whole country that you're saying okay here's a here's something that can make you help you heal help you deal with whatever you have going on and you know what we're not going to even let our doctors talk to you about it let, let right. alone give you a card oh and by the way if you get a card you may be losing some other rights such as va benefits um Pension you know here's here's somebody is right. if it's somebody's in assisted living ends pay for va benefits and you know the medical cannabis would make his life whether it's whether it's anxiety whether it's chronic pain whatever it may be his life better his or her life better Right. And it's just insane. And, and, and then, like you said, it's, we're dealing with, you know, the opioid crisis, Ohio, West Virginia, Kentucky, everywhere. And the data is pretty clear. You know, and I'm a, as a lawyer, we rely a lot of data. Then we frame it. Like you said, we, we, we change the name from the illegal market to the legacy market. You know, we want to frame things. Ooh, here's this. You know what that is? That's like the two minute warning, right? That's like the two minute warning. Yeah. Well, that's, that's yeah, that's what I said. Like it's become it's become part of everybody's buddy's right. condition that they said right. I, I, I got I, some family members that are, I have to be close to today. So I love um, that. That's great. That's good. Yeah, you know, that's what it's about. I do want to ask you one last question because we talked a little sure. bit about a lot of things. I know you have a background in the alcoholic beverage world. And when and if this does finally go federally decriminalized. Okay, let's let's start there right. because I really believe that sure. should be the first thing that they do, and it should be right. the simplest thing that they do. That being said, um, there's a trickle down effect to that decision too. Where, what department in the federal government do you want to see regulate the cannabis industry? Is it the FDA? Is it the DEA? Is it the Alcohol and Beverage Commission? Where do you think it's going to play, or the Department of Agriculture? Because after all, this is a plant. Right. So I think what you're going to have is, first of all, you can get the DEA out of it because at that point, it, it's not a drug. They don't need to be involved. And frankly, they should be out doing different things instead of seizing, instead of seizing hemp deliveries and then going to court and spending our tax money to try to justify it and then losing it. Right. So I, what makes the most sense to me, and I think what you're seeing in a lot of these bills are, is look, we're going to treat adult use and regulate it like alcohol, which is our guys at the, uh, the Treasury Department and BATF, the Bureau of Alcohol and Tobacco Firearms and Tax and Treasury Bureau, Alcohol and Tobacco. Let them regulate that piece because they've been doing it for 90 years in one form or not. Then if you want to have a product that's to be treated as a medicine, you go through regular FDA 
medical protocols. I don't do that, so I can't speak to those. But to me, that makes the most sense. And as you said, part of the problem is, well, a big part of the problem is they created this, this definition out of thin air of hemp. You right. don't take a cannabis plant. That's like saying, I'm going to take corn, have this corn produce 20% sugar. That corn is going to produce less than 3%. And I'm going to call it hair, <laughs> right? Because I want to, and you're going to regulate it differently. And I do think, you know, and you have less and less of them, but I do think there's a there's a place for uh, USDA, Department of Agriculture, to regulate um, the growers. And you're looking at just growers. What one of the issues you're going to have that needs to really be unwound because you don't have it in the alcohol business is the vertical integration. Mm -hmm. So you're looking at some issues of arms length dealing where you're determining tax rates. You're going to look at um, you know, and again, from a commerce standpoint, from a branding, I mean, what's what's Gorilla Glue in, you know, state of Washington is not Gorilla Glue in Ohio. So that's like saying the Budweiser I drink in Ohio, and I'm not a Bud guy, I sold everything but Budweiser. The Coors I drink in Ohio, you know, that was a big thing. Coors didn't expand for a long time because they wanted to brew their beer only in Colorado. Then they realized to compete nationally, they had to open up other breweries. Right. So but it's different, you know, you're not dealing with soil. They, they, they purchase their hops for the most part. They're producers. Yeah, I, I know that we could go on and on and start talking about interstate right. commerce and, so, and all this, but you yeah. know what? I, I think at this point, Harry, uh, we've talked about a lot of stuff and I, I yeah. find it very interesting. I really do. I want to- so I think the, the short answer is I think TTB and, and, and ATM, and that again, every bill you look at, whether they have other stuff in there is saying that we want to regulate it like alcohol. These guys are the experts. They know what they're, and it, it's a public safety issue because the states don't have the ability right now. As I said, when I first got involved, whether it's the first bud tender I met in Michigan, who after three months, I knew more what he was talking about than he did. Um, or going to MJ Bizcan, I said, this is a, it's an immature industry. And I mean that in the simplest way, it's a young industry, right. but they got it. And I said this in, Take it the way you want. I said, it's time to put your big guy pants on because if you want it, you got to go out and be professional and educate people. We don't need brawls in MJ BizCon. And I'm not picking on them in particular. I just happen to be there. The whole point of the plan is to mellow everybody out anyway. So, <laughs> right, right. You, you know, um, Harry Bernstein from Verde Compliance Partners in Ohio. If people want to pick your brain, now that we've shared the, the fact that you actually are very intelligent and uh, very worldly about this, appreciate subject, how do people how do people get to you? How do people find you? Well, the simplest thing is to go to our website or our LinkedIn page. And the website's verdecompliance.com. And you learn about us. We've got a pretty good team we've put together with uh, experience in all areas, state level, federal level. Um, so it's kind of a unique group of people who are looking at things. And people say long-term, but I don't think it's long-term because when it comes time to deal with the federal government, if they pass the law today and you're sitting on five operations in three states, uh, it's, you don't want to start preparing that. You want to start looking at what could happen now. And we have a good framework because if we know TTB, and Department of Treasury are going to handle these things. There's certain things you do. So look us up. Uh, I'm involved in, in a bunch, bunch of different groups as well. Um, but we'd be happy. And, and Zoom is a part of everybody's life. We were using it before the pandemic, but certainly not to the extent. So that's um, right. And that's how I yeah, that's would, how I built Pro Canvas Media. It was yeah. on Zoom. 
and sure. you know dressing them up with nice graphics and and acting professionally and all that neat stuff and uh it's really we're very proud of what we've built now that we're live streaming 24 7 yeah on yours, channel and an app yours is great yeah. Well, hey, that's how I educated myself watching guys like you. I mean, there are certain things I can do by reading and there's certain things you can do in podcasts, certain things you can do by watching, but most importantly, talking to people and, and, and say, like, it's, it's education for everybody. I mean, my family member asked me to look into it so she can make an educated decision. She's not going to smoke a joint and jump out the window because of jazz music, right? No, no. <laughs> so as long as I assured her that you're seeing you're seeing real doctors who have real medical school right. like uh, exactly. education and we'll real licenses, and, we'll, and we'll get there. We're going to get there. Yep. Just, you know, just uh, the industry's in a hurry. Life is not in a hurry. In reality, right. it's really slow. So it's literally one step forward, two steps backward. And eventually, though, it is going in this direction. It's 2022. It's the day after 420. Most of the world knows about 420 now, which is right. It's all over popular culture. Right. I'll so, tell you one interesting thing before. It just okay. I, I had the conversation. I was talking with a New York attorney. And he said, you never know, it hit you in the head because there was no hurry to get there until uh, Governor Cuomo had certain other issues and he decided to try to deflect a little attention away. <laughs> and that's when he really pushed the cannabis issue and, and it got through and then he retired. <laughs> For like yeah, exactly. That's what he did. But, hey, Harry, Harry Bernstein from Verde Compliance Partners. Thank you so much for hanging out. Jimmy, with thank you. And uh, we'll, you'll be our go-to guy in Ohio for sure moving forward. Okay. Well, and on fe any federal thing too. That, that you got it. Be glad to help you there. All right, Jimmy. Definitely thank you. Definitely know where to find you. So again, everybody knows how I close my podcast on a regular basis here uh you know i have this saying it's it's basically it's a whole new world of weed out there use it responsibly that's what i believe in that's how i close my show so for harry bernstein and everybody in the pro cannabis media family remember to like share and subscribe until then thanks for watching thanks for listening hey you want to grow your own plants? Check out Style Lighting's Grow Kit. It has everything you need to become an expert home grower and bring the power of the sun indoors. Style Lighting uses TCP's high-powered commercial LEDs that deliver twice the output in the market. The Grow Kit has a grow bag, a timer, chains to hang the light, and of course the best in the business lighting system by TCP. Check out stylelighting.shop for more information. Weed Talk and In the Weeds are two productions of Pro Cannabis Media supported by Revolutionary Clinics, one of the top medical cannabis dispensaries in the Massachusetts area. Now with three locations in Greater Boston, two in Cambridge and one on Broadway in Somerville. Rev Clinics has a patient-first mission. They will customize your needs as a medical patient with the proper titration and combination of strains, flavors, and products. Rev Clinics, where the patient comes first. Difference is building a solution for that individual. Not just a custom, here's a box, here's a video, here's how you make your VMS. We custom design and custom build every situation for exactly what the customer needs. 
and we keep the cost low. We have multiple tiers, you know, as far as what you're looking at on the cost side of things. If you want a one-time, you know, where you just pay one initial cost, we have that. If you want to maintain your system and have the highest protection and highest capabilities and highest upgrades at all times, we have different plans for you. But we scale it so it's scalable and affordable 100%. Cannabis Media Programming is available live and on demand on our Facebook page at ProCanna Media, on Instagram at ProCannabis Media, on LinkedIn also at ProCannabis Media, on YouTube and YouTube Live on ProCannabis Media, Twitter at ProCanna Media, and on twitch.tv backslash ProCannabis Media. So like, share, and subscribe to all of our content, newsletters, and shows live or on demand. We are Pro Cannabis Media.